0: around this time of year some people uh, start to use advent calendars to count down to christmas and the idea of course is to to help us build anticipation as we eagerly wait for that day and we sort of enjoy the the excitement of counting down to the the day of celebration and so we might use these calendar might use these calendars to make the most of this countdown to the celebration of Christ's birth because because it gives us hope and joy to know when the wait will be over. And so whether you use an Advent calendar or not with your family, and I'm not advocating that you do just now, most of us still do in some way take part in the building excitement of this December season as we start to think about Christmas. And as Christians, we use this time to mark the birth of our Savior. But think about the passage of Scripture we read. And the people of Israel in the opening chapter of Matthew's Gospel had no such privilege To know when their wait for the Messiah would end. The kingdom of Israel had never really recovered from the deportation to Babylon. Which is one of the reasons why Matthew mentions it several times in verse 11 and 12 and further down. And there were no indicators from the closing verses of Malachi, the last Book to be inspired in the Old Testament to the angel's address to Mary and Joseph. There was no indicators between that time to preserve the anticipation of God's deliverance for Israel. And, you know, even after, even after the Persians allowed Israel to return to the land after they'd been captured, those Persians And then the later Greek and Roman empires kept the long shadow of exile cast over the Jewish nation. And the thing about this is Israel was used to hearing from the living God. God inspiring the prophets to speak and the authors to write Scripture was all regular news to them. And from 1500 to 500 B.C. roughly, there was a continual open line of communication between God and the prophets. And yet, with the the close of the Old Testament, God went silent. After a thousand years of God's voice, He quit speaking. And I mean, this this surpassed Israel's exile to Babylon in terms of distress. At least in exile, God still spoke to them. And they had no advent calendar to tell them when things would change. They had no countdown to give them hope that God's silence would end. And that brings us to Christmas. The inbreaking of God's presence, returning to His people. And so today, what I want to do is, I know there's been a lot of Israel's history, but what I want to do is draw a parallel between the distress Israel felt as they awaited God to speak again, and those of you here, who, one, one of two things, those of you who either remain in real spiritual exile under sin and unbelief, but also a parallel to believers. If you might feel as though you are in exile, if it has been so long since you may have really felt God move in your heart. So that's the parallel I want to draw. And the main point is that Christ's arrival marked freedom from exile in unexpected ways. Christ's arrival marked freedom from exile in unexpected ways. We'll see this in three points. The situation for Israel, their similarity to us, and the salvation from exile. So first, the situation for Israel. And so what we're going to do in this first point is we're going to consider Israel's condition as we find them in the opening of gospel, the Gospel of Matthew and basically focus on their desperation of their situation in the days before the arrival of God's Son. So I need you to remember, keep right in the front of your mind, it's been 400 years since they have heard from God since he has inspired the prophets to speak. And now certainly certainly there are other and, and perhaps more uh, theological and better reasons for that length of silence. There certainly are. But at least one is tempted to think that God kept silent for that long because it was at least long enough for them to get the point that he wasn't speaking. It was at least long enough. Four centuries is undoubtedly enough time that it would sink in that God had ceased to address them. They couldn't have missed that silence. And the silence would have been deafening. And still, they would not have forgotten that God had promised a Messiah, their rescuer. They would have known Old Testament passages like those, those quoted in Matthew 1, 22 and 23. Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. I mean, this is obviously miraculous prediction had not yet come to pass. First off, it would be newsworthy, at least to some capacity, if a virgin had a child. Somebody would know about that. And so, okay, let me let me pause for just a second. I I know that some so-called Bible scholars have argued that this word translated virgin simply meant maiden and that it didn't necessarily mean she was a virgin i'm going to take this on briefly and of course they argue this because they deny christ's virgin birth and and the miraculous nature of his conception and the thing is about that the starting premise of these arguments and and here i imagine some of you at least have have heard this which is why it's worth addressing they start from the point of denying miracles so it's an assumption the whole thing is built on that assumption and these arguments are really just smoke and mirrors meant to be a flashy appeal to a foreign language but of course i mean the word does mean virgin it just does and on top of that in isaiah's time the 700s B.C., Israelites didn't make the hard and fast distinction between a young, mariable girl and a virgin. Those were conceptually and ordinarily the same thing. There were more rules about this sort of thing. I mean, teenagers weren't allowed to go off by themselves together and go to the mall. And there were stricter views on how people could interact before marriage. And so conceptually and ordinarily, those weren't different things. It's a false uh, appeal to different meanings of words to, to say that this doesn't entail the mother of the Messiah would be a virgin. And Jews throughout the centuries, throughout the centuries, have interpreted this verse the same way that traditional Christians have. And and so we don't have a real reason to question that I was appointed towards a virgin birth of the Messiah, and that Matthew's gospel records the real fulfillment of that prophecy. Now, though, it is, it's more crucial to I that's important, and I hope you block that away, but it is more crucial to note at this point that this child who would be born of the virgin would be named Emmanuel. The word, as, the, as the, the text points out to us, literally means God with us. So the prediction of, of this child was an announcement that in this person, the very presence of God would dwell with His people. And yet, Israel had not seen the presence of God, nor even heard from Him, for nearly half a millennia. Forces. So, so now that we have the facts in front of us about the lead up to Jesus' birth, we, we should see how desperate the situation was for Israel at this Christmas event. You know, unfortunately, I mean, in some ways, unfortunately it's likely old news to us that Christmas marks the coming of of God's Son. We sort of treat it as as a given. And we, 2,000 years later, two millennia later, can look back on that promise with hope and see that this season was the fulfillment of the promised hope. But, but if we put ourselves in the shoes of the witnesses of, of the first Christmas, we see that likely they had some reason to have, have some mixed emotions as flawed people. I mean, after all, Mary gave birth to her son next to farm animals. And the wise men who came to visit this newborn traveled long distances following a star. And they had the, the threat of a murderous ruler hanging over their heads. And these are fantastic events. And they're also dire circumstances. And so there could have easily been a real sense of wondering whether or not God was really fulfilling His promises now. Is this the time? Is this the moment God is actually coming through on the promises He's made and that we're trusting Him to keep. I mean, it had been, I can't emphasize enough, 400 years since God last addressed His people. That glimmer of hope would be something amazing, but yet, that long of time would leave anyone thinking, could this really be it? So the situation for Israel was God's long, unbroken silence and the lingering sense of exile under the ungodly powers. That brings us to our second point. Their similarity to us. And so, so far we, we've tried to get a sense of the desperation Israel felt at the time of the birth of Christ was announced. And, and in this point, what I want to do is, is try to draw some connections between that first century sense of lingering exile, you know, suppression, oppression under the foreign powers and the types of spiritual exile that we experience today. And so, despite the fact, I want to reckon with that despite the fact that Christmas is supposed to be the season of joy and how positively marketed it is by advertising firms, doesn't depression seem to run rampant this time of year? Maybe even some of you feel more alone going into the Christmas period than you have in a long time. Perhaps the impending days of celebration have reminded you of some loss you've encountered. Perhaps you just don't have the peace you think you are supposed to have in this season of peace. And it's not lost on me that there are likely many christians here who feel it has been forever since god has spoken to you maybe you are in a season of spiritual dryness such that it feels like feels like god is no longer with you and perhaps you're starting to wonder if his promises god's promises to be the source of peace and joy will ever really take root in your life. And for some reason, this Christmas season gets especially hectic and has a tendency to remind us of and intensify these difficulties. And yet, I mean, we have to remember... That these feelings of loneliness and spiritual dryness are ultimately, ultimately, the effects of sin. Now, it could be that the sin causing this for you may not be yours. It could be, could be, that you have been deeply wronged and your struggle with that is heightened Going into this season when most people spend extra time with loved ones because all of that around you reminds you of the betrayal you've experienced and the hurt that that caused. But it could also be that that the spiritual dryness and the distance from God that you feel is the result of your sin. It could be that you have put up walls that block you from fellowship with God. Your struggle or spiritual dryness may well be due to how you have neglected God and His Word, meeting with the saints, or have entrenched yourself in unrepentant and un. Um, Abandoned sin and committed yourself to your own good instead of to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in these ways, can we not identify how the Israelites felt after 400 years of God's silence? Will God ever act Will He ever show back up? Will He ever make good on His promises? And what am I supposed to do as I wait? How can I have hope as I endure this? What can I do in this season of spiritual dryness and feelings of distance from God? And this reminds us how in the nation of Israel, both those who faithfully sought the Lord and those who didn't suffered alongside each other. So those who pursued God endured exile right next to the ones whose sin brought about the exile. And we know that Israel lost their tenure in the land because they violated the laws of the Mosaic Covenant. We read in, in Deuteronomy 28, 15 and 16. Deuteronomy 28, 15 and 16. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all His commandments and His statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed! shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the field. And then in verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. We see clearly In these verses, how Israel lost the land that God gave them because they broke the covenant that God made with them at Sinai. And in first century Palestine, the remaining overrule of the Roman Empire would be the lingering reminder of the nation's sin. And the same is roughly true for us, though, is it not? If if you are a Christian, you endure through hardship and trial in the world because the whole human race went into exile with the fall of Adam. Just as Israel broke the law and was cast out of the promised land, In exile for their sin, Adam broke the covenant that God made with him and was cast out of paradise because of his sin. And we have continued in their example, violating God's law that He wrote into our hearts as those made in His image. In regards to Israel's exile... Their similarity to us is that sin always causes separation from God. The similarity is sin always causes separation from God, and that brings us to our third point, thankfully, the salvation from exile so our our considerations in the last two points about israel 's desperation leading up to this, this chapter in the Gospel of Matthew and how we find ourselves in a similar state bring us to that significance of Christmas, that coming of the Messiah recorded for us in Matthew chapter 1. The Israelites wondered... I mean, get this. Note, note this really carefully. The Israelites were obviously wondering when would God speak again? But God did them one better. Then speak. And he came to earth in a human nature. God granted his presence to his people in the person of the eternal son. He endured oppression of the Roman Empire, was born in a cow stall because the Romans wanted to know how much taxes, how many citizens would be paying taxes. And although he suffered in these ways with Israel, I mean, get this. Pay Come back in if you're not. Although he, Christ suffered in these ways in the culture, His real purpose, His real purpose was bigger than dealing with temporary government. He came to earth to deal with the penalty and power of sin. The real issue is not that the Son of God came under Roman political prowess. That's one thing. It is not the biggest thing. But that He suffered every infirmity caused by humanity's sinfulness. He was beaten and whipped by those Romans and killed on the cross. And the struggle of Israel's lingering experience of exile politically, it's It is just a minor subplot under the story of Jesus Christ breaking down the walls of alienation between sinful man and holy God. Unlike us, though, Christ suffered all these things as the one person who had not contributed to the world's sinfulness That causes our suffering. The reason he endured. All this hardship. Was to make good. On the promises of God. To be with. His people. God the son. Willingly. Shouldered the penalty of sin. So that believers. In him. Would be reunited with God. So. So. The reason why it can be so hard to cope with the difficulties of the world is we know it should be different. Don't we? We get that sense. That's why we use the term injustice. We might use it too much because sometimes we forget that we are what is wrong. With the world, we forget that it is because we have rebelled against the loving God who created us that we suffer the effects of the fall. It's not an abstract force of wickedness out there. Suffering doesn't come from nowhere, it's not in the air. People cause it. Sinners make other people suffer. And we suffer because we are sinners. And I I would certainly be remiss if I let anyone leave here thinking that Jesus came to make this age a more peaceful time to live. So I know I've sort of been trying to gather the strands leading into Christmas of things are bad. And I don't want to give you the impression that the way things get good is the world gets better. It might, and hopefully it will in some ways. But the hope Christ offers is not that everyone in the universe can feel better at Christmas. That's not the point. As if he came to make us all happy. The hope offered in the gospel is not for the social and cultural structures of the world it is not and i have to say i mean i've I've got to point this out really sharply if you're not a christian then you don't share in the hope that christ offers you may well know that the world is not as it should be and you certainly need relief from that burden And yet, the root of that burden is our sinfulness that sends us into spiritual exile away from God. So when we realize our need for God's presence, whether that be for people who have yet to trust in Christ or for Christians who are experiencing spiritual dryness, The answer is the same. When we are aware of that exile, we look to Christ. Just as the answer to the silence of God in the life and history of Israel was the incarnation of Jesus Christ, so the answer from being far from God now for you for whatever reason the answer is still the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Son becoming a human man was a real historical event and it was a statement that God made in time about His commitment to you. Whereas sinful people could not manage to come into heaven, God came down to us. When God's people were not able to get their act together and serve Him as they should, God came to perform the law perfectly on their behalf. And when God's people may have felt as if they had been forgotten and abandoned, God came to this very world and lived among them. And that's what this passage is about. He not only lived among them, though, He didn't just live among them, He spoke to them. God spoke again. God touched them. God served them. God healed them. And then He died for them. And then He rose from the grave for them to guarantee that all God's people will live in His presence and never again feel the distance that sin puts between us. So, I mean... Many things in this life. I mean, they they can weigh us down, and they will. That it, It's just the facts of living this side of the fall and this side of glory. And especially, I think this is the case, in the busyness of this holiday season. And possibly even some of you are here because going into this time of year, you feel more the burden of hurts and disappointments the past year, several years, or however long. And yet, Christians, we, we should let all of this fade as if, as if it is fleeting disappointment. God came to be with you. What bigger reality is there than that? No matter how dark this season of life, No matter how long it seems as if it has been since God has moved in you. God did come to be with you. God the Son assumed a body, a full human nature, so that he could bear your sin. All the wrongs you would ever commit and make you right with God. And that is, of course, the true salvation from exile. And so we we celebrate the birth of Christ this season. But that's not superficial. And it's not simply His birth that makes us celebrate. We celebrate His birth because God broke the silence. We celebrate because... God make the most powerful statement in coming to redeem us. Sending His Son to rescue us. We celebrate because God came to make the church a family for people of all nations. No matter what their culture looks like, they have a family redeemed from exile. The true exile. We celebrate Because we've been saved from our sins. We celebrate because God came to be present with us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.